And if I pause and stare into space, ignore it. <laughs> Very tired this morning. Um, but the good thing is, is that God only needs my mouth. And he doesn't even need that. He'll use whichever mouth is available. So I have to be careful how I think about my role and my call. I am not necessary, but am an instrument of grace. We've learned a lot and we will continue to learn more. And we saw Cain and Abel and last week in an attempt to get about 16 different thoughts out of my head at the closing bell, if you will. I, uh, I put Enoch in Cain's line as a descendant, or Noah as a descendant of Cain, and that was incorrect. So, and I could tell I said something wrong because some of y'all were going, I don't think that's right. Anyway, so brother, I thank you for coming up afterwards and going, I think you, I think you made a mistake. doesn't matter. The point I was trying to make is that the reason God established Cain is to perpetuate human existence, to continue the human race, that through his sovereignty, he would have his elect people and his non-elect people living in the earth. And I have some thoughts about how that might interchange and interact as we continue. I want to ask a question. I started to do this more poetically, and I thought, no, if I do that, I'll have everybody freaking out. Uh, in the first three minutes, but have you ever been in a place in life where you honestly said, I can do no more? I can do no more. I mean, we've been there. Some of us may be there now. Some of us may be there in the future. I promise you, you will experience it. Whether it be pain in your body, whether it be pain in your heart, whether it be pain in your mind, your relationships, your church, your automobiles, your children, your pets, the weather. It's funny how sometimes other people complain and we go, you don't really have anything to complain about. But for them, it's bad. And for us, it's terrible and we complain and somebody else goes, well, it's not really much to complain about. Because if we were to really kick the can all the way back down the road, I've had in the last year especially, but since the pandemic started and things radically changed for me and my family, things radically changed. How we think, how we process information, how we interact in the culture, how we do ministry, how we provide for each other, how we provide for our home. Uh, all sorts of things change for us. We have a lot of loss. A lot of loss. A lot of loss. The most loss I've ever experienced cumulatively in my entire existence in one year. Loss of life. Loss of life. Lies to. So we've experienced a lot. And then yet, I can find myself bitter, cynical, fearful, frustrated, angry, broken, sad, you know, it's like the candy man at children's camp. Reach in there and get a surprise. You never know what you're going to pull out, but you're going to pull out something sour. Always sour. I think, when am I ever going to be through it? The Bible doesn't teach us we're going to get away from it. The Bible teaches us that this is part, as Brother Jesse prayed this morning, part of our experience in the faith is that we're to suffer. And that's insanity. It's the discipline of our loving Father 
It is our great Papa teaching us His sufficiency. Teaching us His ability. Showing us His power. Because let me tell you, the greatest sin in the life of the believer, I believe, is self-sufficiency. Which ultimately boils down to self-righteousness when it comes to salvation, right? We have our own ideas, we have our own prescriptions, we have our own opinions, we have all some sorts of things, and it's conjecture, typically because my experiences create my wisdom, and if you just do like me, you'd come out on top, right? Isn't that how we, isn't that how we think? That's how we think about the guy driving in front of us. That's how we think about the person cashing us out at the store. That's how we think about the attitude of the young people today. Not that you need to read works of antiquity, but if you ever read, read Cicero uh, about what he thought about youth, you'd think he was living in 2021. <laughs> I mean, if I could quote it, and you go, I, I, I could have wrote that last week. Yep, he wrote it. So there's always somewhere that we can find a reason to complain, but the complaint, the complaint platform in the economy of grace does not exist. Except that we can take our petition to our Father and then leave them there. Beloved, this is the hardest thing that we'll ever do. It's the hardest thing we'll ever do. It is all we can do sometimes just to get up on the Lord's day and assemble together. And when we come, what do we do? We're not coming with anticipation and excitement a lot of times. We're coming with angst and frustration. I got to get up early. Next week, the time changes. We get an hour. So everybody should be early, right? I've been working on that for two weeks now. And this week, I have gone three nights with no sleep. I'm like, this is destroying my plan. If the Lord wills, you will get your sleeps correct. You know, James wrote that. But we get, we get to the place where we're coming to worship together. We're not anticipating joy. We're fighting against frustration. We're fighting against the things that are going on in our lives, the things that are going on in the world, because that is one of the most amazing opportunities for the Lord to sovereignly permit the enemy to invade our minds and to put obstacles in front of us because He knows... That if he can win in this little game of temptation, that our joy will be stomped underfoot and we will spurn Christ. With all good justifiable reasons to not assemble, I have them also. Unless I'm disqualified, I have an obligation to be with you all and to prepare for this day for our joy and our instruction, and most of all, for the sake of God's glory. <sighs> How am I going to do it? But then when we are obedient, when we are submissive to the prescription of God and submit in our little teeny weak flesh, by His grace, to the things that He has established for us, there is a supernatural work of God within us. When I am through preaching today, I will sleep till tomorrow morning. I promise you. I will sleep, and I will sleep, and I will sleep, and a hurricane can fly. Now, that would probably wake me up. But anything else, anything else but thunder, I would sleep. And nothing's going to change that. But today, God will give the grace needed 
for his word to be taught and for his church to be instructed. And then when that's over, who knows? Cain. We saw what Cain did. Cain worshipped God according to the prescription given him in, in, in chapter 4 of Genesis. We saw Abel worship God according to the prescription given him. We saw this temple-like Eden, this experience where the first families, the first family now growing, are able to experience the relationship with God outside the garden with a promise of mercy through Messiah. Because the temple experience, the experience of truly being in the presence of righteousness, clothed in the righteousness of God, when the creature was given any type of volition, any type of freedom, he always was tempted. We always fail, and we fail well. We do a really good job at failing, even when we're succeeding. Sometimes we win in the context of our own ability rather than submitting to the reality that God has granted all of this for us. And this first family is worshiping according to the prescription of God, Moses is not here to teach us theological things and to instruct the people about these things. He is here to show the narrative of God's sovereignty in creating and separating light and darkness and promising redemption and then creating man and woman and then they separating themselves from God in rebellion, not trusting His promises. Then He promises the good report of the seed of the woman who is Jesus Christ and then they are, according to their kind, producing more people according to the decree and the providence and the sovereignty of God and His purposes. And even in that relationship and that brotherly affection, we see that the flesh is tempted to do that which the flesh does, and that is to be self-sufficient and not believe God. So here is Cain worshiping eloquently. And from a perspective of obedience, adequately. But because God does not have favor for Cain in this context, Cain does not understand and approach the worship of God as a sinner, as one who is an, a, a, an instrument of mercy, but rather Cain approaches worship from a position of professionalism or piety. God's going to be impressed with my piety. You know, we went through this last week. Trying to get my head right back where I left off. Cain will be the father of David by the time I'm through with the sermon, probably. But see, Cain, according to the apostles, killed his brother because he hates righteousness. And to hate righteousness is, in fact, according to the teachings of the New Testament, to hate Christ Himself, for He is the righteousness of God. Ironically, Paul is emphatic about the truth that we are also the righteousness of God. How is that so? Because Christ's righteousness is credited to us. So when we are called the righteousness of God, it is not because of us. It is because we are Christ's body. See, imputation, getting credit for something else. That is God's grace to His people. This is what God does in the vehicle of mercy. The opposite of which would be justice, merciful love, kindness, grace, justice, wrath, indifference, hate. 
Some people don't like definitions. And when I said indifference is the opposite of love, I got a lot of backlash. And I just decided to ignore it because I don't need to listen to goatee language. I don't have time for it. I have a family and a flock and a whole bunch of frustration. (laughs) I don't need that. And you don't need that. Let us have our fear and reverence in the Lord and sit at His feet as a father and as children to a father who loves us and will never condemn us and will never destroy us and will never throw us away. But He does instruct us to treat others likewise. See, Cain Cain hates righteousness by imputation. The scripture, as we saw there, uh, we'll just read this to get it back in our heads, but I'm in the same text that I was last week. Cain... Let's see, the Lord said to Cain, well, here we go, we'll just start there. Now, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced or begotten a man, Yahweh. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock, And their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. In Jewish tradition, uh, if you will, mythology says that he hit him with a rock. The Bible doesn't say that, but mythology says that. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city. Cain built a city. He called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod fathered Mahujoel, and Mahujoel fathered Methusael, and Methusael fathered Lamech, who's also a different Lamech than some of us think of. And Lamech took two wives, and the name of one was Adah, and the name of another Zillah, and Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His life, his brother's name was Jabal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zalah bore Tubalcane. He was the, for, the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. 
The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, notice he has two. Adah and Zilah, hear my voice. Listen to this. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me and a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me an offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. At the time, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. There's a lot there, and it's narrative, and it's brief narrative. It doesn't tell us a lot. It doesn't go into detail. It doesn't even explain itself, and commentators are really creative. Let's just read it, get the gist of it in the context of the creation account and what we're trying to see in the context of the gospel. So here we're going to see two specific things displayed. We're going to see the sin of Cain, and we're going to see the grace of God. So we're going to see humanity, and we're going to see the gospel. We're going to see the sovereignty of God on this side, and we're going to see man's nature on the other. We're going to see, in the end of all of this, two different peoples. And the ultimate, it's ultimately going to show us who Cain is. Now, if you were to think about Cain and what you know about Cain and what we've learned about Cain throughout our lives and even recently, some of us would be able to say, you know, I know somebody sort of like Cain. I mean, I don't want you to raise your hand because you might be in trouble because the person that you're thinking of might be sitting to your left or right. But either way, you might say, I know somebody like Cain. And most of us could say, yeah, there's some Cain-like folks in my life. But let's think about it. What is the sin of Cain? The sin of Cain Cain is that he hates imputation of righteousness. He hates it. Why? Because in Cain's view of himself, when he looks in the mirror of Cain, he says, this man worships God well. This man works well. This man produces well. Look what I have done. Thank you, God, that I am able to do these things so well for you. Now, some of us would say, well, what's wrong with that type of attitude? Well, Jesus specifically teaches that that type of attitude is Pharisaic. That it is someone who hates imputation of righteousness. In other words, they don't want credit for someone else's well-doing and goodness. They want to be credited for their own. That's what it means. See, self-righteousness is extremely deceptive. Of course, there are always going to be the ones who brush off the old dust and say, look at this guy, how he's living. But they're a dying breed in today's society. You can find one in a thousand. Self-righteousness is usually so subtle that we come to the place of thinking that we're thanking God for the greatness that we've become. And then humbly recognizing that we're still sinners, but by the grace of God, there go I in comparison to someone else. And beloved, it is deceptive. And that is why God has orchestrated and ordained and commanded the assembly of the saints. We walk together. When we hit a brick wall, we stop. We deal with it. We keep walking together in the gospel. You are here today in attendance, not to see and participate in some spectator sport, but you are here today because you agree with the gospel as preached from this pulpit. And you and I and all of us together are in one accord in Christ Jesus this morning. 
and what He has done to credit us. Does that mean we are always walking in the same direction or that we're always so lovey-dovey? No, as a matter of fact, the opposite is often true. Why do you think the New Testament teaching continually instructs on how to resolve conflict and deal with problems? Because that is what we do. That is what we do as people. We are the problem. And I'll leave the pop culture references out of that one. We have problems, and we're most of the problems. So Cain hates imputed righteousness. Wants credit for himself. Cain hates instruction. Because God says, if you do well, would you not be received? Would you not be approved? And what is it the doing well? We, we saw what that was. By faith. By faith. The obedience of faith is believing in the promises of God. To the level in which God's word reveals the truth, all believers know the truth of Christ and what he accomplished for his people. But the depth of which they may comprehend the ins and outs of these things or the theologies of these things is irrelevant. We grow to understand those things. But never, ever should a believer ever get a pass in any type of self-righteousness. We should say, hey, this is Christ. This is why we do the Lord's table every day. This is why I think that we have suffered so much in our intimacy is because we haven't been doing the Lord's table like we are commanded. Because we're reminded about what Christ has done for us and who our righteousness is. And that all of us are in the exact same hands, the hands of Redemption, the hands of grace, the hands of our loving Father. No Christian is greater than another. Because we are all recipients of mercy. But Cain's hate instruction. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to hear God say, if you just rest in me, your offering is acceptable. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear, you got a problem with the way I prescribe, or you got a problem with your brother, then listen to me, Cain. Because this conversation with God, I mean, it, it begs, it stands to reason, really, that Cain had a problem with Abel to begin with, much like Joseph's older brothers. Of course, Joseph was a braggart. Yeah, I had a dream, y'all going to bow down and worship me. Yeah, I had a dream, I was going to rule over you. I had a dream, you know. I think I'm going to be in charge around here when daddy dies. You know what? Runt. <laughs> so Cain hates instruction. Cain hates being corrected. He worked hard for that. You ever done something in life? Have you ever produced, let's say, like, like a, a party or, or a meal or, or a paper or any kind of project or you did something nice for someone and you just worked hard, you spent your time, you spent money maybe, you gave your talent, it was a labor of love and you present it and you're thinking everybody's just going to swoon and they just gobble it all up or receive it or take it and, and, and no thank you, no nothing. See, I have, that, I have that problem sometimes when I renovate things. It's real ugly and real nasty and dilapidated. And then when it's all said and done, it's all pretty. It's just normal to everybody else. Look at this. Yeah, it's built. Appreciate it. Floor, toilet. Hallelujah. We're not pooping in the offering plates. I mean, you know, kids are paying attention now. And it hurts our feelings. 
That's what Cain was like. He's like, I did all of this, and God just, eh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. God, do you see how lot? You see what I stand for? You see how I work for you? You see what I do in the ministry? You see, you see, you see, you see, you see, you see. Cain hates being corrected. Because Cain hates being wrong. He can't stand it. I don't like being wrong either. But I'd rather be correct at being wrong than think I'm right and be wrong. Correction is biblical. If it's followed according to the Bible. That's what something, if you want to say, is that biblical? Are you following the instructions to a T according to the Bible? Then it's biblical. And then nobody, when everybody gets upset, when Cain gets mad because God spoke, I mean, who's ever going to speak back to God? Cain. Cain rebuked God. Cain talked back. Listen, I've nearly murdered all my children twice for talking back. And my older children, they brought it to my attention a couple of months ago. No, Dad, I don't hear you say a couple of things that you used to really nail us for. And there are two things that they brought up. One is when they come running into the room with their mouth open... I said, ho, ho, you come into the room with your what? Ears. Mouth. You don't have a mouth when you come into the room with adults. You understand me? Come into your room with your ears, and when you hear the pause of a finished conversation, not a breath, and then your mouth can open. You know, I was stern on that. Well, not, not now, you know. Got eight years between the last two. And the other one is, I forgot. <laughs> I'm so sleepy. Ah. Uh, Goodness. I'll think about it in a minute. It doesn't matter. The point is, I hate being wrong. Cain's hate being wrong. We don't like to be corrected. We don't want to be instructed. We don't want to continue to, to hear that what we've done is not what we should have been doing. And at the end of the day, the flesh hates it. And at the end of the day, the flesh hates those who have favor. And Cain hated the one who had favor. Because he worked hard. And he should have favor too. You see the difference in self-righteous versus imputed righteousness. We're approved, blessed by God because he credits his righteousness to us. Versus we doing well in our own lives, thus making God happy. Now, do we please God as believers in our works? Yes, we do. Why? Because we are in Christ. Do we displease God with our sin? Absolutely. That's why there's so much instruction about how we speak and how we talk and what we should put in our eyes and ears and how we should approach each other and what gentleness and patience and long-suffering and kindness. I mean, these words are hammered. This, these commands are hammered to the New Testament church. Love, first and foremost, is always about being a slave. And secondly, is always about being silent. Coming in with your ears long before we open our mouths. Cain can't do that. Cain wasn't listening to God. He just came in with his mouth. What am I supposed to do? Keep up with my brother? Oh, that was it. The second thing. When my children talk back to me when they're younger, and I have not asked them a question, but I am talking, I would interrupt them and say, Did I ask you a question? No then I don't want to hear your mouth. 
And I know that seems harsh, but when you've got five children and they're all wanting to jaw and tell you how to parent and tell you what you're going to do, you either nip it in the bud or you terminate the issue. And I did not ever desire prison ministry. You know. So Cain hates those who have favor with the Lord. Cain hates those with patience. Cain hates the reconciled worshiper. The one who is reconciled to the Father. Cain hates worship actually. Because what is worship but a transliterated word through the centuries that means worth-ship. The worth of God. He has due what? The scripture says all glory, all honor, all wealth, all power, all dominion, all authority. Because he is Elohim. He is the highest of all things. That's what the word God means. That's not his name. God is not a name. That's who he is. The highest of all things. So Cain does not like worship. Cain likes self-worship. But it's disguised, it's deceitful. See, Cain thought he was worshiping God, but ultimately in the end of it all, it's like I said many years ago to a group of leaders in a particular ministry who were bragging and bragging. You ever seen those newsletters? Is that ministry newsletters? You know, you got the ministry newsletters that can praise the Lord and they're usually a page. And they're gospel-centered and they're... But you've got these 12-page newsletters that tell everything, share everything. There's always something to say. And now, people don't do newsletters much. They just videotape everything they do and put it on social media. Look at how I shared the gospel today. Look at it. And I'm not going to indict people just for doing that. I'm just saying I have seen that type of response in a way that it's not God-honoring. It's self-honoring. We've all seen it. And quite honestly, we've probably all done it. We've all participated in it. Sometimes in ignorance. But Cain hates those who have good worship. Cain hates those who have the joy of Christ, the joy of the Lord. Abel joyfully gave of his first fruits. He joyfully gave it. Abel found joy in his presentation rather than the sacrifice. Cain hates those who have endurance, who are able to stand under trial. How do you know all this? Well, the scriptures teach us about Cain. And the instruction of the apostles to the church deal with Cain as sort of the poster child of what not to be. Because there's an ultimate end of Cain's sin, and it's a primary motive of self-love disguised as worship disguised as affection for the Lord, disguised as service and ministry, and that's murder. The murderer. The murderer truly hates grace, unless it's a technical form of grace. See, Cain hates grace, but he loves the technical form of grace. The technical form of grace is God is gracious to me, and now he's not. What did I do wrong? But that's another sermon. Because ultimately, in the end of it all, we have a gospel picture here. We have a gospel picture. And it's real easy to say, okay, you know, Abel is the elect, 
Cain is the reprobate. But the Bible doesn't teach us that. This is a narrative about a sin of which the scripture would say that everything in the law would call for the death of Cain. Right? Kill Cain. I mean, my goodness. You could just about be stoned for spitting on the dirt. By the time Moses was around. I mean, Moses wrote this, remember. And so, I mean, you, you know, don't spit in the dirt on the Lord's day. On the Sabbath, it's not the Lord's day. Don't spit on the dirt on the seventh day. Because that's a work. Your saliva merges with the soil and you've done some agriculture. That's how they did it. Don't spit. I guess where the spit tombs came from. But there's a gospel picture beyond that. Distinct separation. Because Moses is not trying to teach us about the descendants of Seth and descendants of Cain in the context of this line of reprobation, this line of election. That's not the point. Matter of fact, the scripture would not even agree with that. So people who says everyone that was ever descended of Cain is reprobate, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just, that's conjecture. Matter of fact, that is technical theology. That is to say that which God's word has not said. So let's see the gospel picture. Abel is blessed and approved by God, by the will of God. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will harden who I want to harden. I will deal with accordingly whom I want to deal. Does the, potter, does the clay have the right to the potter to say, why have you dealt with me this way? Why have you made me this way? No. God will do what he desires to do, with whom he desires to do it, when he desires to do it, without any interaction, without any permission, and without any consideration of the creature. That's what it means to be the highest of all things. You do what you want to do. And he's not in the Adams family. So Abel is righteous according to imputation because he is approved by God. Cain then is a picture of the flesh, of the flesh of humanity. Born of a woman, sinful to the core. Abel also sinful to the core. They're in the same boat. But Cain hates righteousness in all forms. Instruction. He hates righteousness in living. I mean, think about that for a second. Sometimes we see a group of people and we see Cain's of the world and they seem to love the imputation of righteousness or grace in a technical sense from a theological standpoint or from a historical standpoint or from an academic standpoint. But when it comes to living out that grace according to the command of God Almighty, they stomp their feet and refuse to do it. What do we do with those people? Call them Cain's? No, say, hey, don't be like Cain. That's what the scripture says. We don't say, you're Cain. We don't even say, hey, you're reprobate. Don't be like Cain. See, my daddy taught me from a very young age. Boy, you will always have my name. Mess it up, you won't have it anymore. It'll be on a tombstone somewhere. And those aren't his words, but that's the sentiment. That's the sentiment. So Cain hates righteousness and desires to murder the righteous one. Whoa, you see the gospel picture all of a sudden? Jesus is the righteous one. Abel is a picture of Christ. That's why Abel's blood has always been a shadow of the blood of Jesus. Cries out to the Father for vengeance. Cries out for justification. Cries out, cries out. 
And we can see John's apocalypse. We can see the, re- the revealed things to John where Jesus tells him to write these things. And he talks about the picture in heaven where the martyrs are crying out for justice and vengeance. Saying, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And beloved, I'll tell you. If I could just be a pretexter, that means not use the full context, but take pieces out as suited my fancy. I'd love the scripture that says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. But I have to accredit the full context. Saith the Lord, saith the Lord. Dearly beloved, do not avenge yourselves. But just the first part, vengeance is mine. (laughs) I will repay. Give me them laser beam eyes, boy. We'll go for it. Cain murders Abel just like those spiritual people of the day of Jesus murdered him. And beloved, murder is a terrible thing. We'll talk about the heart of Cain's murder in just a moment. But I've been studying James for a few months now. And boy, when we get to James chapter 3 and 4, he gets... The Bible, especially the New Testament, is a very practical writing. You need to understand it's theological writing, it's historical, it's very practical for the believer. We want to know what God expects of us, very practical. The Word of God is the measuring rod for the believer. Are we honoring God in how we're thinking? What does the Bible say? Are we honoring God in what we're saying? What does the Bible say? Not are we earning His respect, earning His salvation. No, 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 no. We have that. We're confident of God's mercy in Christ Jesus alone. That's what saving faith is, and that's a work of God itself. So we're resting in the finished work of Christ, but then we're learning to live together as a picture of Christ's likeness. And James and Paul and Jude and others will say, do not murder with your mouths. And it's amazing that even when you teach that which you are studying in the context of Scripture that applies every day, all the time, the canes of the world. And I have to be very careful what I'm saying here because people will accuse me. But the canes of the world will hate the instruction of Christ. And sometimes, as we've been sitting here for so long thinking about who we know who are Cain, why don't we look in the mirror? Because we're all Cain. And that's what this narrative teaches us. If Abel is a picture of Christ, then Cain is a picture of me. So then, point the finger. we got three more, unless your thumb's bent backwards. <laughs> Pointing back at me. That would hurt. Wow. You can do it sideways. We are Cain. That's what humanity's all about. That's what the flesh does. That's what human nature's all about. That's what depravity looks like. We are sinners. And If God grants us, through the prescription of the boundaries of intimacy in the local church, an 
oversight and intimacy of working through our faith and learning and growing and debating and coming out on the other side together. If we stand and God tarries and He continues to grow us, we will mature and our flesh will become less active in its power, but it will never become sinless. That is why glorification is such a dream Because I cannot fathom what it would be like to approach the Bible without sinfulness. What it would be like to hear the Scripture. I I want Jesus to read John's Gospel to me. And say, I think that would be pleasant. I'd rather just see Christ, you know? Why do you want to read John's account? I'm here, buddy. (laughs) You know? I want to hear the Word of God without a sinful nature. And I can't, I can't focus on that a whole lot because I won't ever leave the chair. Vocal murder is vile. No matter the justification for it, no matter the pretexting, no matter the approach, no matter the cultural distinctions, Cain murdered his brother. And then all through the New Testament, James and others and, 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 and Paul, they would say, don't murder your brothers. They aren't talking about stabbing them with a knife or hitting them with a rock. They're talking about speaking of them talking about them when they're not listening in any way, and we've all done it. What is, Brother read out of 1 Peter today, what is it Peter says about Christ? He spoke not a word. Abel could not speak. But his blood speaks. And you cannot fathom the fact that we cannot fathom the fact this is spiritual. This is literal warfare. Warfare is not us being soldiers in the world. Warfare is Christ the victor in the spiritual sense. God is not looking for well-prepared soldiers. God, according to Paul's teaching to the elder Timothy, says be a good soldier, be a slave to your sergeant. And your sergeant says, when you're reviled, keep your mouth shut. Do not answer. You do not answer. Because then we run the car not off into the ditch. We run it off the bridge into the depths of the sea. And then the light is no more. Jesus never said a word. Well, he had something to say to the Pharisees. He is God Almighty. And only he knows the hearts of those people. And we can read Jesus' words and learn from them. But we can't cleanse the temple without being sinful. Unless you got a bathroom brush. Go for it. Or mop. God is glorified in the death of Abel. It was God's plan. God did not make Cain do it. Cain did it out of his own wicked flesh. So God points us in this death Enable to his son, and then shares that 
when we identify with Christ, we too shall also suffer as Christ suffered. So, God is showing us the gospel. Our flesh will desire to give in to itself, but the Spirit within us will keep us with all the other saints in the Spirit of life. For God has made us fit. He has qualified us, Paul says to the church of Colossae, to be inheritance, to be sons and daughters, to inherit eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to use some language here that's necessary because it is exactly what God has done. God should have killed Cain, but in God's eternal purposes, He did not kill Cain, and so He stayed His wrath. Patience. Some people call it mercy. So instead of giving Cain what the law would say Cain deserved, God listened to his complaint, or if I could say to his prayer, not because the prayer was effectual, it's because it's what God was going to do all along. God did not answer Cain's plea. Please don't do this. I'll die. It's too harsh. I can't handle it. Oh, I'll be a wanderer. Oh. Can you see it? Make a good Nickelodeon cartoon character. The ridiculous villain. But God was merciful to Cain in his judgment, in his wrath, as a stay of execution, if you will, for his own purposes. And if you read the Bible enough, and you'll see you get over there, even past the flood and up to the flood, you see Cain's people were known as wicked people, and we already see that here. There's a lot of things I could talk about here. They were wicked people. They were known as evil people. But yet some of them could possibly be elect. How many children did Cain have? We don't know. Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens. He lived, what, 600, 800 years? 700 years? I mean, some of us aren't even, you know, aren't even 50 and we got a lot of kids. I mean, could you imagine? We don't know that all who carry the blood of Cain are not loved of God. To say that is ignorant. But they were known as evil people, even though some of them could possibly be elect. Abel's descendants through Seth became all the way up to Noah. We understand that. But after the flood, we see a group of people called the Kenites. And there's not much there. There's not much to say. But some people would suggest that those are some descendants of Cain. How did some of Cain's people survive the flood? Well, is it very possible that, you know, Cain and Abel's wives were indeed their sisters? I mean, Seth wasn't born until, how old was Adam? 130 years old? He was 130 years old when Seth was born. How many children were living? How many families were started? And these, maybe one of, well, who knows? Maybe one of Seth's daughters ended up marrying some of Cain's sons and vice versa. Not everybody's going to stay at the house. I mean, Cain's an adventurer. He's a wanderer. He's cursed of God. Sounds pretty fun. Let's go to Sodom. 
Let's enjoy it. That's what the flesh does, right? So, this suggests that possibly Cain's children married Seth's children. Either way, Cain was a victim in his own eyes because God's word came to him with the gospel. Yet, he was unwilling to submit and indeed he was unable to submit. I asked myself some questions when I was preparing this. And asked myself this question, where is my mind today in relation to this truth? Am I listening to the whole counsel of God's word? Or am I picking and choosing what I want to hear? Am I a theological hobbyist? Or do I truly seek to know Christ and worship Him? When did I come to understand the depth of God's patience with me? Have I been patient with others as God has been patient with me? Have other people been patient with me as God has been patient with me? And then I realized that God, according to the revelation of His Word, is the author of life, the creator of life, the creator of truth. He is the truth. He is the power unto salvation. And so He will make a way for His people and He has done that. And He does not need our good intentions or our zeal or anything else. You've heard me say that at the heart of my sinfulness is murder. And beloved, when we act on that, it marks us forever. God marked Cain that he might be known as a murderer. Sometimes you can't wash it off. Even when reconciliation and repentance and all these special churchy words have happened and everybody's loving one another again, there's always that odor. Always that smell. Always that suspicion. murderer. I know he's good now, but what if he flips? Murder marks us forever. Gossip marks us forever. Hatred marks us forever when we exercise it. It carries death to a place that we could never imagine. It destroys all hope of peace. It eliminates the efficacy of reconciliation Murder mocks forgiveness. It blasphemes our prayers. We can't pray when we're murderous. It provokes wrath. It violates the teaching of Christ and the doctrine of Christ. It promotes a false gospel. It makes God a liar. It sounds pious in our own ears. Because we are to hate that which God hates. And ultimately it ignores the point of living and it does not preserve lie for the sake of God's glory. So Cain escapes death in fear by mercy, which is a stay of God's wrath. For the wages of sin is death. And in the picture, Cain was all... I'm so sorry. Don't do this to me. It's too much. But this hubris of Cain is quickly... Established. His, his humility was uh, fleshly. It wasn't repentant. It wasn't God-granted change of disposition. Cain could not live amongst other men. He, but when God said, I will make sure no one kills you, he's like, oh, I'm going to build my own city. I'm not going to be a nomad. I'm not going to live out here in the wilderness. I'm going to build my own city. If I can't be a part of other people's city, I'll build my own city. Yes, 
Look at all the children I have. Look at the hundreds and thousands of people that have come through my blood. I got you, God. And this is the hubris of depravity. This is what we do as human beings when we see God's wrath like Pharaoh. And we go, oh, we're so we got frogs, no more. And God takes it away and we go, all right, my slaves have got this cleaned up. God, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Cain remembered his fears, though. He didn't call the city Cainville. He thought, ah, Cainville. Then they'll know. Then God will find me. Uh, Enoch Town. Hey, son, you got a city. Thanks, Dad. You know, can you imagine growing up in a town named after you? In a city? He remembered his fear, so he named it after Enoch. And Cain then became bold against the curse of God, and he sort of showed God that he would do as he wishes, thinking that God's patience was grace. It was not. It was divine forbearance. Patience is not ignoring things. But it is the nature of God to establish His purposes and then the instruction of God for us to be patient. He will produce it in His timing. Oh, beloved, if I could learn patience perfectly, we would be the greatest family of faith that ever existed. But then some of you wouldn't have very good patience. It would throw it all in the trash. Patience. God does not ignore evil when He is patient with it. Scripture demands that elders endure evil with great patience and teaching and instruction. Why? Because sometimes the vilest of murderers are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes the vilest of unbelievers will soon or maybe one day be our family. We cannot cut off our nose to spot our face and then enter beauty pageants and say, well, I used to be pretty. We are not to destroy people. Cain lived a long life and bore a lot of children. And his progeny filled the earth. And by all appearances with the world at large, Cain's family prospered. And became great. But they weren't great. They were still not approved by God. He was not blessed. He was cursed. And then he has a son named Lamech, or Lamech, or Lamech, however you want to say that, if your throat's itchy. And he says some landish things. First, he takes two wives. It's the first mention of polygamy. He takes two wives, and he tells his wives, I love how that's phrased. Hey, you wives of Lamech, listen up. I'm the man around here, and I'm one bad dude. If somebody hits me, I killed him. 
You ever heard a guy like that? Now see, there's no evidence that any of this ever happened. He's just bragging. Somebody insults me, I'm going to kill him. What is that but the heart of his father? A hater of righteousness, a hater of life, a hater of those who are approved by God. And the evidence of those who hate the beloved are those who are murdering them. And beloved, don't forget that we are Cain. We all have done it and all can continue to do it if we're not listening to the instruction of the Word together and at peace, walking in humility. This conjecture here, then he says, if the wrath of Cain was seven times. What's the wrath of Cain? What is that? Then the wrath of Lamech shall be 70 times seven. My daddy was a bad guy. I could take, kick butt and take names. You ought to mess with me. See how far away from what God had said now was being taught to the people of Cain? I'm a defender of the truth around here. The truth was conjecture. The conjecture became habit. The habit became truth, which was a lie. And people believed it. What is conjecture? Making an opinion about something of which you know nothing of and do not have 100% of the information. It's a wicked, vile sin. Especially when it's coupled with gossip, slander, libel. Even in the grist of intentions. We cannot always judge the heart of someone when we sin. Sometimes we're trying to help. Sometimes we're trying to do what's right. But we just step in it. Oh, what's on my shoe? You see what I mean? I don't know other way to say it. The heart of man gets to write his own story, then he believes it. The evil and the depths of ignorance and the hubris can acquire such confidence over a short amount of time. But God doesn't leave the story there. And we think, oh, look at this. And then we're, oh, we're Cain now. Oh, great. This isn't the point of this narrative. It's to show us that that is true. However, don't forget the blood of Abel that cries out from the ground. Don't forget that God granted favor to Abel in his worship. Why? Because there's an imputation of righteousness. There, a picture of Christ. Christ would then suffer by murderers who thought they were doing God's work and die because it is the will of the Father that He may save a people for Himself in all justice and righteousness. For all glory that we would be numbered amongst the people of God who are approved by Him, not amongst those who live in the world who are dead in darkness, but have been called out of light that even in the greatest of darkness, as John would say, alluding to the very text that we've been going through, the darkness shall not overcome the light of Christ. This is the gospel. 25 and 26, those verses right there. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain murdered him. Verse 26, For Seth also was born a son and called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You see? God's people will not be destroyed. God's Salvation will not be thwarted. He will not fail. He did not fail. He cannot fail. 
We are here. So what is the point of all this? The body of Christ is broken. The blood of Christ is shed. And we rejoice because we're not having to be like Cain. We're not going to be counted for being sinful like Cain. Because Christ put that sin on Himself. Christ became guilty of murder, having never murdered. Christ became guilty of gossip, having never gossiped. Christ became guilty of adultery and fornication and lying and maliciousness and covetousness and anger and frustration and fear, having never sinned ever in any way in His humanity or His divinity, never doing anything that was ever contrary to the righteousness of Himself, who is God Almighty. And so we can, re- we can rejoice. Because God has created a people for Himself, and even when we murder the righteous, Christ's murder satisfies the wrath of God for us. So this is the picture that we see in the Cain and the Abel. So what do we do today? We honor Him by remembering Him, the command. I said it last week, we haven't done the Lord's table in such a long time. I just wanted to teach more every few weeks to teach more and more and more. It is a commandment of God that we remember Christ. Why? Because He's worthy of remembering. There's a lot of elements going into experiencing this, but the primary point in which it is commanded is that we do it out of obedience to Christ because He said, remember me. Don't forget me. Think about me. Why? Because when we think about Christ... We know who we are. When we think about Christ, we know what He's done. When we think about Christ, we know who He is. And He's worthy of all honor and worthy of all glory and worthy of all wealth and worthy of all power. He has done all the work of redemption in Himself. He has purchased us with His blood so we are to remember Him. That's first and foremost. That's the primary point of the Lord's table is to remember Christ. It is a personal opportunity to worship individually, to remember Christ Knowing that our sins are forgiven. Period. Now, there are some other implications. Because we are like Cain in our flesh. And we get murders. We get frustrated. But taking the Lord's table washes that away. Because we remember what Christ has done for us. We remember who we are. And we realize, you know what? I can forgive. I taste. And I remember God's forgiveness in Christ. I can forgive. This is for the sake of Christ. And to disobey the commands of Christ is to suggest that we don't believe them or that we don't think that they are, that we're worthy of that or that we think that we don't need them. That we don't need Him, but we need Him every day. Christ obeyed the Father and suffered in His flesh. So shall we also suffer being found in Christ in this life. Beloved, let us rejoice. Rejoice. It is the hardest thing to do and it is absolutely impossible in our present circumstances, whatever they may be for any of us. But beloved, in Christ, remembering Him, tasting and seeing that He is good, we can rejoice. And that should be the anchor of our faith. That should be the anchor of our soul. That should be the anchor of our worship is Jesus Christ who has not let us be like Cain but has dragged us out of the domain of death into everlasting life. Let's pray. We thank You, Lord, for this truth. We thank You, Father, for loving us. 
unlovable people, but Father, in your wisdom and mercy, you have loved us everlasting love with an everlasting love, with an eternal love. Long before we were, you first loved us that we would also love you. And Father, we do a very poor job of loving you because your word tells us to love you is to obey your command. And the commands are very simple. is to put you above all things in affection and honor and obedience to loving each other as Christ, as we love Christ, as we love ourselves. So as we take the table this morning and remember what Christ has done, let us rejoice in our spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's prepare.